Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who'd come from Jerusalem, that's nearly 100 miles south, HQ, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And Mark is about to explain this has nothing to do with hygiene. This is all to do with ceremony and ritual. So clearly for the non-Jewish reader, Mark says this in verse 3, hence I think the brackets that our English editor has put in. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, literally unless they baptize, um, presumably their hands, dipping them. Baptism is immersion, so dipping them in water. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing, again, the word is baptism, the baptism of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. Now back to the main point. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, and here he quotes from Isaiah 29, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, and here he quotes from the Ten Commandments, commandment number five, Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father or his mother, oh, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, is devoted, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. And Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, And understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into them can defile them. But the things that come out of a person are what defile them. And when Jesus had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. In other words, this statement in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, then are you also without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And with one sentence, he sweeps away all the food laws of the Old Testament, the kosher regulations. Basically, all food is kosher, says Jesus. 
And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Well, let's pray together. Father, please would you teach us wisdom in our inner being, in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How to be acceptable to God. It's one of the great issues over the centuries. The vast majority of people in the vast majority of history have believed in God and have believed that the God who made us and is there is a God to relate to somehow. And it's only a question of how to do it acceptably. Because, of course, when you approach God, you want to be accepted and not dismissed as dirty or defiled or unacceptable. Like if you were ever asked to lay the table by your parents as a kid and you just happened to find a fork that was absolutely fine. It simply had one grain of rice between two of the prongs and you put it on the table. What did your mother say or your father when they saw what you'd done? They said, you can't, you can't put that there. That's dirty. It's unacceptable. And we don't want to be found dirty and unacceptable by God, do we? And virtually every religion claims to have its ways of removing dirt and making us clean enough for God, acceptable to him. And the traditional Jewish religion of Jesus' day was no exception. Over a thousand years before Jesus, Moses had been given by God the law of God, the, the Torah, the instruction, uh, which is what we call the first five books of our Old Testament. And of course, after that, all the prophets and the other writings. But on top of that, the Jews had developed an oral, that is, word of mouth, set of rules and regulations, which went way beyond the written commands of scriptures, of the scriptures. This was all kinds of the rules that Jesus refers to at the beginning of chapter 7, rules about washing hands and pots and pans. Nothing to do with hygiene, by the way. This is ceremonial. This is ritual purity. Now, there was a justification. They said it was, well, here's, here's the law, the commandments of God in Scripture. We've got to put fence around it, a big fence, a wide fence, to make sure nobody breaks the, the actual commands. But the thing had got out of hand, and the, the tail was now wagging the dog. And Jesus and his followers were ignoring these rules. And it offended the guardians of purity, the Pharisees. They brought up reinforcements, it seems, from Jerusalem. So we read in verse 1 that some of the scribes had come from Jerusalem, along with the local Pharisees now gathering around Jesus. Because they'd seen that his disciples didn't keep the hand-washing rules. And then Mark explains what this is about for his Gentile readers in verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 5 comes the crunch question. 
Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why? Why is it that your disciples do not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And it seems that Jesus answers the two parts of that question in the next verses. So the question about the tradition of the elders, why don't they keep that in verses 6 to 13 is Jesus' answer. And the issue of dirt or defilement is answered in verses 14 to 23. But of course, the big issue is being acceptable to God. How can you be acceptable to God? And the answer is if we want to know how to be acceptable to God, there are two things we need to know. First, it is not by acting a part. Verses 6 to 13. Now Jesus goes straight on the offensive, doesn't he, in verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy. It's a word, it's often, the word well is often translated beautiful. So it's a fine thing. It's a fine thing that Isaiah said about you lot you hypocrites. And he quotes this ancient prophet Isaiah from 700 years earlier. When Isaiah was prophesying, he was preaching judgment on God's people because they had become hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. And for centuries before Christ, actors in Greek plays, as you may well know, wore masks for the right expression on them. So if you were, if you were an actor in, in a drama company, unlike the Mark drama, uh, I presume there was some kind of box or something in the storeroom, and there was a whole supply of masks. And you may have seen this if you've ever been to an ancient Greek play. Uh, there, I think there's, I remember seeing an, part of an opera once which had this for the chorus where they all had masks. Uh, I know Ivan is away today because Ivan knows all about opera. Maybe somebody else can tell me which opera it is. I can't remember. I just remember seeing it at Glyndebourne when I was delivering some Perrier water as a student. But that's another, that's another story. So you're an actor. You've got to act happy. What do you do in ancient, um, ancient Greece? You pick out the happy face from the masks and you hold it in front of your face. Happy. Smile. Now what your face behind it is looking like doesn't matter because you've got the happy face in front. Or the sad face, pick up the sad face, hold that in front. And you can see how easily the word for actor became the word that meant hypocrite. Because what is behind the mask is different from what the mask has. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're just play acting here. So when Jesus accuses them in verse 6 of being hypocrites, he's accusing them of playing a part, but not from the heart. Now, it's not that they weren't serious about their religion. They were very serious about it. But there was a disastrous disconnection happening. Do you see it at the second half of verse 6? As Jesus quotes from Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The cause? Well, there it is in the rest of the verse. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They've left the commandments of God and substituted man-made rules and traditions. So the whole thing was 
about playing a part externally. And then Jesus illustrates his point in verses 9 to 13. He says to them, you've a fine way. Again, there's this note of sarcasm in his voice, I think. You've a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And it's as if Mark says, now listen to what Jesus is saying here, because he's giving an example of just what he's talking about. For Moses said, this is Jesus speaking to these Pharisees and, and teachers of the law. Moses said, and he quotes here the fifth commandment from Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother. And he quotes here from Exodus 21, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, oh, I'm so sorry, uh, mum, we were going to, we really wanted to help with the, the care package that you can't afford yourself, but, you know, that money we have, we've, we've, it's Corban, we've devoted it to God. Then you no longer permit them, to, permit them to do anything for father or mother. Or you say, what's going on here? Well, we're not entirely sure, but it seems to be some kind of, we might talk about a trust fund or putting something in trust and so getting it away from ordinary use and it was a ruse that was used with the approval of the pharisees basically to dodge your commitments financially to the generation above in this particular case and jesus is saying how can that fit with the commandment to honor your father and your mother it just doesn't fit but it's your tradition. It's what the religious leaders say is okay to do. But it's not, says Jesus. So how does this apply to us? I mean, I'm not sure of anyone here in the church who's come to me and said, I'm trying to dodge my responsibility to the generation above. Do you know a decent trust arrangement that could enable me to do that? And no one's come to me and said that. So how does this apply to us? Well, let me suggest three areas. First, beware a lip-heart disconnect. It's so easy, isn't it, to be in a church gathering like this, to be singing a song, and we're looking at the screen, and our eyes are reading the text, and it's going through our brain in some degree anyway, and it's coming out with the correct mouthing and the sounds, and we're actually singing. If someone was in front of us, they'd hear us singing, but our mind is a million miles away. It's just an automatic process. We can fake it that we're singing, but our, our heart is not engaged. Or we can be sitting in church listening to the Bible being taught, like right now. And we might even be looking at the preacher or looking at the text, or so it seems. But we're actually thinking about something completely different. We're arranging that meeting on Wednesday morning. Or we're thinking about that holiday we want to book. Or whatever it might be. And there's a disconnect between our lips or our face and our heart or our mind. So that's one area where we need to just be very careful about that disconnect. Second area I think it can apply is, is that we need to beware what you might call the dodge the divine command ruse, where you can see a divine command, but you think, oh, I think I'm going to try and dodge that one. Um, so, for example, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, 
It's very clear in his teaching that we are to take up our cross every day. And it doesn't take too much reflection to work out what that means. It means being prepared, like Christ, to sacrifice our lives. Not necessarily in the form of crucifixion, though for some Christians in history that has been the case. But it does mean in terms that there has to be some smell of sacrifice about our lives, about the choices we make, about our use of time and money. Okay, if you're a Christian and know that command, you're thinking, well, no, that's a command. I'm, I'm prepared to accept that's a command that applies to a Christian. Okay, well, how come that so often in our lives, if we're Christians, there is no smell of sacrifice? that our time and money seems to be our own, for our own use, rather than for God and His use. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to play this card, the looking like a fanatic would be a bad witness card. Have you ever thought about that card? I wouldn't wouldn't want to, um, if if I did that or spent that kind of amount, I'd be a fanatic. And that wouldn't be good, would it? Because people would look at me and think, oh, I think they've, they've gone over the top. They've lost it. They're a fanatic. Well, the difficulty is if you keep playing that card, you can so easily actually dodge the divine command of taking up your cross every day if you follow Jesus and not thinking in terms of sacrifice and saying no to myself, denying myself, so that our lives become essentially indistinguishable from our unbelieving neighbors and friends and colleagues. That's a danger, the dodge the divine command ruse. That's the second application. Third one, this isn't a direct application. This is, if you like, a corollary. This is the, the other side of the coin, which is this, that Christian joy, if you want to be a Christian and know Christian joy, is found in Christian obedience. Again, don't misunderstand me, not as a way of earning our acceptance in God's book, but as a way of expressing our gratitude for His mercy and grace. So if you've got a Bible there and need to make, I want to see if you really are with me now. John 15. You might just turn to John 15 as Jesus is talking the night before He died. And He says this in John 15, 10 and 11. And please note the connection between joy and obedience. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, why is Jesus talking about obeying his commandments? Well, he tells us now in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be half full. That doesn't say that, does it? That your joy may be full. Fullness of joy for the Christian is found in keeping the commandments of Jesus. Those are the commands of God. So I suspect these, these Pharisees were a pretty miserable lot. Now, if you want to know how to be acceptable to God, it's not, first of all, then, by acting a part. It is, secondly, and there are only two points, remember, 
It is by addressing the heart. Verses 14 to 23, back in Mark 7. Now, this is clearly something Jesus thinks is important. So, verse 14, he calls the people to him again, says to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into them can defile them, but the things that come out of a person are what defile them. And then Jesus' close followers back in the house in verse 17 ask him about this parable, what he's just said in verse 15. And Jesus says to them, are you so dim-witted? It's not very complimentary, I'm afraid, to his disciples. As we saw last time, this is, we're beginning to see in Mark's gospel that the disciples are really quite slow in getting it. Which in a kind of way is an encouragement to us, isn't it? Because we're often very dim-witted. But Jesus is very blunt with them. So he says, verse 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, his inner being, but his stomach? And then, well, look at the footnote. Let's have a look at the footnote. I looked at 62 English translations on Bible Gateway, and not a single one of them can bring themselves to use the word that's used in the Greek. So forgive me if I use it in church. Toilet. <laughs> Jesus just says, what you eat goes down into your stomach and then out into the toilet. Okay? Now, I know that the ESV and others say latrine, but when did you last ask someone, excuse me, where's the latrine? Come on. Funny thing, isn't it? Um, so what is it that makes us dirty and unacceptable in God's sight? It's not what we eat. That just goes straight through us, is what Jesus is saying. It doesn't affect us, really, inside. Now, if you're a nutritionist, I know you've got all kinds of qualifications at this point, but leave those aside. Verse 20, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And I think that's probably the umbrella term. And then colon, these are the kind of evil thoughts that often come out. Sexual immorality of any kind, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. They make them unacceptable to God. Now when Jesus uses the term in verse 21, the heart, he's not talking about the way we use the word heart very often in English. In English, we often distinguish, say, between, well, you know, I knew it in my head, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's a different use of the word heart. Jesus is using the word heart here in the way that the Bible normally uses the word heart, which has a much broader reference. It really means the essential you, who you really are. It encompasses spiritual and intellectual processes, decision-making, 
choices, the will. It encompasses all of that as well as the feelings. It's a much broader word. And it is the heart understood in this way that we use to relate to God. We think about him, don't we? We relate to him in terms of a spiritual awareness and understanding. We make choices. We have a will whether we're going to keep the commandments of Christ or not. And there are affections, there are things we feel about God and about the Lord Jesus. That's all part of our relationship with God. But this is where we need to understand the source of the great problem we have when it comes to relating to God. Because within each one of us, within every human being, there is a factory of evil constantly producing bad thoughts. Is that not your experience? It's very difficult not to be thinking bad thoughts any given day, isn't it? Some days are worse than others, but every day is the same in that there will be bad stuff coming out from inside our heads in the sense of our thinking, our hearts, as the Bible would talk. So, three applications of this second point before we finish. Number one, we need to stop pretending that it's things outside me that are the problem with my relationship with God. Or for that matter, our children and their relationship with God. Now, if your parents, or if you think back to your own parents, parents always want to protect their children from bad influences, and that's a a right sentiment and a right um, thing to think and do. But it's basically impossible to protect them from evil. That's what Jesus is saying, because it comes from within them. And again, if, if you remember your own childhood or if you've had children or observed children, you don't have to teach them to be bad, do you? You have to teach them to be good because it's natural to be bad, because those bad thoughts constantly arise in their heads. But it's no different for us adults. We are constantly battling with evil thoughts that come from inside us. Now, of course, environment can make a difference, and if we get in the wrong context and company, that doesn't help. But it's important for us, for example, with children, if we're Christian parents, you know, we can try and protect, we can try and homeschool them or send them just to a Christian school, but that is powerless to stem the flow of evil from within them. Now, Jesus is not saying, and if you read the Bible more widely, it's not saying that nobody ever has a good or kind thought on their own. No, of course people have good and kind thoughts, but they are always mixed with evil ones. That's the point, that you can't stop the bad thoughts. And if that's not your experience of being a human being, let alone a Christian, Come and talk to me afterwards, because I've never met anyone for whom that is the case, that they don't have bad thoughts constantly every day. So that's the second application, is we need to start acknowledging the reality of evil thoughts from within. That even as a Christian, we will be battling bad thoughts to the day we die. Because the factory of evil within our hearts is, is in full production. And it's not going to be destroyed until that moment we die or Christ returns. So don't think that in this life you're going to escape the battle somehow of the evil thoughts 
coming from within. Now again, of course, there's more to be said on this, that as you read the scriptures, as you read particularly, say, the book of Romans, you discover that the Christian also has the Holy Spirit's help to destroy the production as it comes off the, the line, the production line. So you don't, you may be tempted to have a thought of, of pride, for example. But what do you do with it? You suddenly find you're, you're thinking proudly. What do you do now? Well, you ask God's grace to start thinking humbly. Instantly, you don't hold on to it. I love that saying that I quoted before, but I always find helpful that you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. The point being that there will always be temptations and bad thoughts swirling around, but we don't have to give them a place to go on living in our lives in a bad way. We have to kick them out, or if you prefer the, the rugby analogy, if you find you've suddenly been past the ball, you don't try and run with it, you just kick it straight into touch. Just get rid of it. But the thing we need to do is to accept the reality that evil thoughts come from within us. But I want to finish on this point. Yes, stop pretending that there's things outside me. No, it's, it's a problem from within. Acknowledge that reality. But then, finally, keep returning to the source of cleansing. We've discovered the source of the pollution. It's inside us. But the wonderful news, and this is the good news of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel, is that sins can be forgiven, and not just externally, but our conscience can be cleansed through the death of Christ. So there's that wonderful expression in Hebrews 10, uh, 19, following, where we're encouraged to, to enter the presence of God with confidence through the blood of Jesus because of what he's done, opening up the way into God's presence. And in verse 22 of Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our hearts, our inner being, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if you have mold in your house or dirt, and you're constantly going and trying to find the spray that's going to get rid of it, and you've tried them all and none of them work. Well, this is something that can really get rid of the gunk and the dirt inside. It's the blood of Jesus. So if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The bad news first. You are unacceptable to God as you are because of the thoughts that keep arising from within you, all of which God sees and records. That's the diagnosis of the divine doctor. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus' death can wipe your record clean and cleanse your conscience. So all you need to do is cry to him for mercy through the merits of Christ and his sacrifice. And if you are a Christian, how wonderful to be reminded that your continuing sins, your struggles of yesterday and today and tomorrow, with these evil thoughts that keep arising from inside, are covered by the same provision of Christ's sacrifice. 
And that sacrifice means that you are acceptable to God today and tomorrow and forever. Now, the death of Christ has addressed the issue of the dirt produced within the heart and provides the cleansing that no religion, no human effort will ever be able to provide. Here's how to be acceptable to God, not acting apart, but addressing the heart with the good news of the gospel. Let's pray.